We're continuing in our 40 days of prayer here at the beginning of 2023. This is a week in which we're, we're focused on that prayer is a form of worship. And that effective prayer, if, if prayer is going to be effective in, in reaching the very heart of God and you're going to see the kind of answers that you long to see, then your prayers have to reflect an appropriate, uh, adequate understanding and knowledge of the one that you're praying to. So each day we've been looking at the characteristics of God that are essential, that guard and guide the prayers that we pray. Today we want to look at uh, the theme that he is sovereign. We're following along with the devotional track for the Christian Missionary Alliance. I'm using some of the text that they use and the theme that they use, but I just wanted to unpack this this all-important characteristic of God that he is sovereign. The passage that is part of our devotional today is from Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel has, um, at this point, Daniel has interpreted the dream of the king Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, in interpreting the dream, gives praise to God. And in verse 20 of chapter 2, Daniel says, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. This is where the sovereignty part comes in. Listen to what it says. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings, and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. One One of the aspects of being able to relate to God as God is to recognize the sovereignty of God. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to those who are wise. In other words, those who actually seek him and knowledge to those who have understanding, who understand that all real knowledge is coming from God himself. Uh, Tim Keller talks about the aspect of the of the sovereignty of God when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. He said this, he said it this way, if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things you don't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and his love. He's never never exercising his sovereignty without exercising his, his wisdom, his love. His sovereignty is manifest in his power, but his power is never manifest without wisdom without his love. He always operates in all of his characteristics at the same time. There are a lot of times when we want to say, well, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen? 
Keller says it this way, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons you don't understand. Can't have it both ways. Um, lots of things happen over which we have no control. Lots of things happen which are the opposite of what we would like to have happen. There's a writer by the name of Tish Harrison Warren who wrote a book um, uh, out of some deep suffering in her life. She's an Anglican priest. She lost uh, two uh, children in the womb. She lost her father. And she wrote this book about prayers in the night. And um, one of the questions that she asked was from a sermon she had heard. And, and it was the idea that you cannot trust God to keep the bad things from happening. And I, I, the way that was phrased was so, I guess it was just so provocative to me and so eye-opening because I never put it in quite those words or those terms. Because a, a lot of times what I, I want is I want to pray enough so the bad things don't happen. Or I want to be good enough or, or, or have done all the right things so the bad things don't happen. And, and sometimes what happens is one of the bad th things happen and I need to pray the most is I'm most upset that the bad things happen. C.S. Lewis said that the expectations are everything. What happens to many of us is when we have unexpected bad things happen, just the fact that they happened throws us into a place of fear, a place of, of not faith. Um, her book, Prayer in the Night, was helpful, was powerful as Lisa and I are going through this season of her chemo uh, therapy treatments and the hard side effects that she's going through and the discomfort that she's feeling and, and the fact that she had a second tumor. This was unexpected to us because she had been doing so well. So the book was really helpful. And I, I liked what, I liked what uh, Reverend Warren said. She said, I think God uses prayer and responds to prayer. And she's talking about the pandemic. And she says, my church has prayed for an end to the pandemic, for God's mercy and an end to the COVID pandemic. And this might sound, uh, you know, in a way, not like a forceful statement, but I think it's a powerful statement. I think God hears those prayers. And that that's part of the work of God on earth is for us to pray, not to shirk from prayer, not to run from prayer, when the bad things happen, but to believe that our prayer is a part of the anointed and appointed work of the sovereign God. Now, in some ways, it's so important that you understand that, that when I'm praying, you, you're praying that of God's sovereignty is, is the fact there's, there's no limits to what God can do. This is really part of what it means to be God. He's sovereign over the whole world. He, everything that happens in the world is, is not happening in some kind of helpless way to God or some frustrated way or, or that somehow our God is at a loss. He's never at a loss. 
And in, and in Christ Jesus, God's awesome, sovereign providence is the place where we feel most reverent, most secure, most free. And I mean, some people, when talking about the evil and talking about the suffering in the world, they like to talk about, you know, particularly about human responsibility, about free will, about the choices that we have made as human beings. And I think that's incredibly important. But as a Christian, as someone who looks at the Bible and looks at the way the Bible teaches on things, one of the really important things is to realize that God didn't just leave us to our own devices, but he himself entered into this chaotic world, this fallen world, and was subject to this world. He was subject to poverty. We see that his mother and father offer a sacrifice at his birth, and it's the, it's the sacrifice of the poor person. We see that he went through in his life, a, a, a life of, of manual, menial labor. His father was a carpenter. He did carpentry work. You see that the Lord Jesus, though the very God of very God, was treated with, with derision. He was uh, treated with disrespect. He was uh, attempted to kill him once. It wasn't his time. And then we, we know what he suffered on the cross. And so... You, you begin to understand when you look at Jesus and you recognize how God has provided for the evil and the suffering and the sin of this world. He's provided in such a way in Jesus that those of us who are all sinners and have all shot, fallen short of the glory of God, we have not been wiped out. I mean, there's sometimes people say, I think that God should just wipe out the sinners and the suffering. Well, he would have to wipe out all of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a, a prisoner in communist Soviet Union, and he was a dissident, so he was treated horribly, beaten, persecuted, tortured. When he was released, someone asked him, you know, would the world be a better place if the guards who did this to you were, you know, if they were wiped out, if they were destroyed. And he said something so interesting. He said, the line of evil cuts through all of our hearts and no one wants to cut out his own heart. And so here we have, you know, we have a difficult world. We have a clear picture in the scriptures of a sovereign God. And that sovereign God shows in his providence, in his wisdom, to become like us in every way except for sin and to experience to the deepest degree all of our suffering so that he might be a high priest who sympathize with us. Now, this was God's pleasure to act in this way. This was Jesus's joy to do so. For the, for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God is never doing something he's constrained to do or, or that he despises to do. He's never backed into a corner. He does what he wills. He does what he chooses to do. This is what it means to be sovereign. I remember being a very frustrated 30-something 
And in my frustration, I would just, I would just say, God, you know, change my circumstances. God, change my situation. God, change the people around me. I, and, and I questioned because of the trials, because of the challenges, I was questioning his goodness. And so much of my prayer life was centered around changing the things around me because I said, these are not good. This is not good. And I remember this very strange situation where uh, for some reason when I was cutting grass, when I was mowing the lawn, I would have such intense conversations with the Lord. And I was having one of those days where I was just so frustrated, didn't have the success that I wanted to have, didn't see the breakthroughs that I wanted to have. And, and I had this, it was, it was like a moment of revelation that all of the people that were in my life, all of the circumstances that were in my life, for the first time I said, oh, this is the goodness of the Lord. Yes, this is a trial. Yes, this is difficulty. But this isn't an absence of his goodness. This is his goodness manifesting in my life. This is what I need right now. And I'm resisting it. And I'm rebelling against it. I'm angry about it. And I, you know, while mowing my grass, I I surrendered. I didn't resign. I didn't give up. I didn't become passive. But I began to say, Lord, I've been fighting your goodness instead of embracing your goodness. I've been saying you will be good if, or I'll say you will love me if. And, and, and I was missing the fact that even in that moment where I was under pressure, where I was under stress, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God had brought those things in my life out of his goodness, out of his grace for me, out of his love for me. And, and even though I had known that conceptually, I began to understand that and know that experientially. And that, that lawnmower became an altar. I repented of all my, you know, complaining, my murmuring, my anger. And I began to live responsively to the goodness of God. Now, I, if you'd asked me, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? I would have said, of course I do. He can't be God if he's not sovereign. But it became a reality to me that, that even in the trials and the testing, he had reasons which were bigger. He had reasons which were more complex than I could understand. Well, how does this deal with prayer? Well, throughout the scriptures, as God shows himself sovereign, you also see his servants pray. Um, now, Jesus teaches us not to pray in a wrong way. He says, you know, don't babble like the pagans. And he says, don't pray as those, you know, who stand in the public so everybody can see how spiritual they are. Because he says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not called to perseverance in prayer. Jesus himself gives an example of a woman who perseveres against an unjust judge. And so perseverance is also an element of prayer under the sovereignty of God. Now, 
it also tells us something really important, and that is that whether you look at Jesus's prayers or you look at Paul's prayers or the prophets' prayers, they prayed in line with the will of God. You think about Jesus in his hour of suffering. He said, he said, my hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So the hour in John's gospel is the time appointed, the sovereign time appointed by the sovereign God at which Jesus will be glorified by means of the cross and then his glory returned as he, you know, to him, to uh, resurrection, his ascension, as he returned to the glory which he had enjoyed with the Father before. And notice something. By saying his hour had arrived, he's saying, this is the sovereign appointed time of my Father. Now, this does not prompt Jesus to simply say, your will be done, nor is he silent at this point. This hour has come, and in so many ways you could say, there's nothing more to be done about it. It's been ordained by the heavenly, by our Heavenly Father. But Jesus, however, says, my Father's appointed hour for the glorification of the Son has arrived, so then I will speak to my Father, I will pray and say, Father, glorify your Son. I mean, you understand, Jesus isn't limited or keeping himself from praying because he knows the will of God the will of God prompts him to pray even more confidently and fervently. In many ways, this is a great example to us that if we study and learn the will of, of the Father, the sovereign will of the Father, when we pray in line with his will, even though he's already disclosed what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, like Jesus in Jesus' example, we can pray with even, even greater confidence. Now, you might say, well, that's Jesus. He knew the will of the Father. Yes, in his spirit-filled humanity, Jesus prayed, listened, learned. He said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. And so he's giving us an example that you and I can seek the will of the Father, then pray in line with the Father's will, and the fact it is the Father's will doesn't keep us silent, but rather like Jesus, it causes us to pray with greater confidence. Now, you might say, well, that again, you might say that was Jesus. But look, even uh, our passage today comes from Daniel. Well, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has searched the scriptures and he understands that the will of the sovereign Lord is that when the 70 years of exile are up, that the people of God will be brought back home to Jerusalem. Now, you understand, if, if, if for some people that I've met who say, well, God is sovereign, I don't need to pray. Well, Daniel is an example against that. Because Daniel knows that it's the will of God, it's the sovereign will of God for the people to return after 70 years. This is his word. This is his word to the prophet Jeremiah. But Daniel doesn't just leave that. Daniel actually goes specifically to God in Daniel 9 for the promised release. He's, he's perfectly aware, you see, that God is not a robot, that God is, is not like a magic genie, but rather that God is a personal God with whom you have personal interaction. This is one of my favorite 
parts of understanding the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, but he's also personal. He's never not personal. And because he is personal, there's a freedom that he has and a freedom that he gives to us to personally interact with him. So here's the sovereign will of God that the people return after 70 years of exile. But he he accomplishes that return through the obedient prayer of one person, the prophet Daniel. So Daniel approaches and addresses God personally. He confesses his own sins. He confesses the sins of the people. In Daniel 9.3, he says, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, he's petitioning God to do what God has already said he wants to do. But don't you see that because he's, he, he is precisely aware of the promise of this personal sovereign God, he feels it is his duty, it's his obligation, then to pray fervently in accord with what he has learned from the scriptures. How much can we learn of this about how to pray for our family, our church, our community? That we don't just assume because the promises are yes and amen that they're not to be something we plead before the very court of heaven like Daniel did. Almost all of chapter 9 of Daniel is his prayer, his pleading. Now listen, everything he says there is not... In chapter 9, it's not something God doesn't know. But because he is personal, because it's a personal relationship, Daniel speaks clearly about how they have sinned. God knows they have sinned. But then Daniel reminds God, of course God knows this, but Daniel reminds that God is a God of covenant love who keeps his covenant love. And then he calls on the very character of God. You're merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against you. For your sake, Lord, he says, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. See, Daniel appeals to God to protect the and preserve the integrity of God's name to hold to the sanctity of the covenant that God has made, to act in accordance with his reputation for mercy and forgiveness. And guess what happens? The exile ends. In other words, God expects, and this is true with Moses, with Amos, with other prophets, God expects to be pleaded with. He expects godly believers to intercede, to do so in accordance with what he has promised. In a sense, this intercession is a part of the the appointed sovereign plan of God. He never wants to bypass you. He never wants to act without acting in a personal way. Now, now one of the reasons that I think, you know, this is so important, and and, and, and I've come to understand this, is, is God always operates in relationship and God always operates through relationship. I mean, 
the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always operating in relationship. So therefore, as they have brought us into this relationship as children of the Father, as heirs of Jesus, sealed with the Holy Spirit, then he is always calling us into the operation of relationship and of the way that he accomplishes his purposes are always through relationship. So here is the call of prayer from the sovereign God to you personally, is he's asking you to participate in bringing about God's purposes through God's own appointed means. So in, in many ways, this is the privilege that we have. Now, for me, it was very personal that I had to not just say I believe in a sovereign God, but I had to believe that his operation of his sovereignty, what, he, what either what he permitted or allowed or what he actually directly caused in my life was good because he is good. And it was so interesting that that day, I remember it very distinctly that day, that day uh, having struggled and, and, and looking at life in such a negative way and just yielding that, my attitudes and yielding my perspective and saying, even in this, you are good. Even in this, you're being loving to me. And it was so interesting because I had spent so much of my time wasting my time on complaining. I had spent so much of my time wasted on trying to, to, to change circumstances that were not really mine to change or people that were not mine to change. And then suddenly focusing on the direction and the leading of God in some ways to make that kind of change like our Lord Jesus lived where he said, I do nothing of my own initiative. He lived a responsive life to the anointing of the spirit and to the, uh, and to the um, will of the father. And that I remember, I mean, in my own yard, I remember just going, I'm going to live a responsive life to the will of the father and to the, the equipping and anointing and leading of the Holy Spirit. And my whole prayer life changed. The way I did ministry changed. The way I looked at life changed. And it's amazing when you stop only looking at things as bad or you look at things as, why is this always happening to me? It's amazing how your eyes open to all of the blessings and the victories and the favor of God that there is in your life. And, and, and it was an incredible thing that, that once, um, once in a way, that stubbornness went away and, and a pliability came to say, lead me. And I believe you will lead me how much, how much difference there was. Um, I want to read this prayer in closing from the, from the devotional. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Father, when we are confronted with hard news, the kind that rocks our world, the drop to our knees, unable to breathe kind of news, we thank you that you invite us to come to you. We are grateful you are the one who is all wisdom and power, controls world events, 
removes kings and sets up other kings and who walks with us in the darkest of valleys. Father, the more time we spend with you, our mourning turns to praise. Our fear melts into faith. We thank you. We worship you. Amen.